Simmons, they cleared out for him. Tapping his way in. Spins on Gallinari. Gives it up. Oh, he was right there. And a foul as Thibault goes to the basket. Boy, Simmons, uncontested, had a layup, but he leaves it for Thibault. Well, but that's when you know that the game is in your head. That's a dunk for Ben Simmons right there. You got it. And I know you got it to Thibault. You got the free throws, but Ben Simmons, you got to shoot that shot. Offensively is what, to me, let us down tonight. I'm speaking of the offense. So ben only took four shots, um, yeah. and then he, he, he passed up a dunk late. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, obviously, he struggled from the free throw line, and, and that became a factor in the series. There's no doubt about that. I don't know how to say it, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had uh, an open shot, and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw, and uh, we missed the other, and then that came down as cold. Doc, do you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. You know, so I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I didn't shoot well from the line this series. Offensively, I wasn't there. I ain't doing that for my teammates. Who looks worse here? Is it Doc or Ben Simmons? It was definitely Ben Simmons. Doc doesn't play. Listen, when you're the second best player on your team, and you got to perform like one. And Ben Simmons did not do that. He wasn't aggressive. He is going to take a beating this offseason, and a little bit rightfully so. It's not so much that he wasn't shooting. He wasn't aggressive at all. You can't have a guy on the court who's afraid to shoot the basketball. The man was averaging 18 points. This is the fourth time in the fourth quarter he didn't take no shot. Forget shooting, right. be aggressive. Nobody thought he was going to be scared to shoot, and he is scared to shoot. You're not getting double teamed. Get right. Be aggressive. That's all I want. Just be aggressive. I don't want to hear all that. Stop that. Cut me sixers. He was in my life when I had to knock his ass out. Skip, they, they, they lost because the second best player became unplayable in the series. Welcome to a new episode of Sports Speak, and today we're going to focus on the Philadelphia 76ers, the Ben Simmons criticism, Game 7 against the Hawks, and what this means for their future. So the number 5 seed Atlanta Hawks eliminated the number 1 seed Philadelphia 76ers in Game 7 on Philly's home court, and the backlash to the 76ers has been swift and centred mostly around Australian All-Star and arguably their second best player, Ben Simmons. Now, Ben deserves a lot of this, which I'll get into, but I figured it was worth diving a little more into the details of this series and the Sixers as a whole, so let's do that as well. A few facts around this series. After splitting the first two games, Philly took command with a Game 3 win in Atlanta, taking back the home court advantage with a convincing win. In that game, Tobias Harris was over 20 points, Ben Simmons had 18 points and 7 assists, and Joel Embiid had 27 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and only one turnover. This was regular season Philadelphia that earned the number one seed, the best team in the East. In game four, Philly gave up an 18-point lead to drop the game in a bad fade-out on the road. The big story of this game was Joel Embiid, who shot 0 of 12 in the second half, including a missed layup for the tie in the waning seconds. Embiid cited his injured knee, saying he had no lift, and for the most part, he was heralded for battling it out in the circumstances, and his 21 rebounds seen as a gutsy effort. In the same game, Simmons, for his part, statistically had a really solid evening. 11 points, 9 rebounds, 12 assists, and 0 turnovers, so one board shy of a no-turnover triple-double. The devil, though, was hidden in the details. 
He went one of five from the free throw line. And this pretty clearly pinpoints the demons residing in his psyche and how they were about to be put on blast. This game also was the first of four straight games. So game four, game five, game six, and game seven, where in the fourth quarter, Ben Simmons took zero shots. Zero. Not one shot went up from Ben Simmons. But there were signs earlier that this was languishing in the background, and perhaps much like Ben, we were denying what was right in front of our eyes. If we go back a week and a bit to the one game the Sixers dropped against the Wizards, in Game 4 the Wizards took out the win after Embiid had exited the game with his knee injury. Ben Simmons for that game took 5 shots for the entire game and went 5 of 11 from the line. Doc was asked after the game if he considered taking Ben out of the game in the fourth quarter and scoffed at the suggestion. In stark contrast to his reaction after Game 7, take a listen to Doc. No, but but you guys keep this Ben Simmons narrative alive, which to me is freaking insane, how good this guy is and all the things he does. Ben is not a 40-point guy. It's not what he does. He does other things for your team. And I just don't understand why that's not sinking in. Everybody on the team it doesn't have to be a scorer to help the team. Ben scores, uh, but Ben creates scoring for us. That's what he does. So, you know, if I'm being at some point, I'd get tired of it. I just would uh, because he's just too good and he does so many good things for this basketball team. And we, and I keep selling it. Celebrate him. Celebrate all the stuff he does well. I think Doc's comments, coupled with a lot of Ben's over the years and even Brett Brown's comments preceding it, speak to the level of a bubble that these guys have put around Ben. He hasn't had to front these shooting demons because every time it's raised, it gets thrown back about how much more he does. And he does. He really does. So I understand the yin and the yang between the press pointing out this really obvious flaw and his coaches and teammates wanting to protect him from that criticism so he's confident. He's a world-class defender. His ball handling and assists are all-star levels, but leaning on these as a defense mechanism has all too often been the go-to. It seems to me from afar that this protection granted this player, who at 24 should be about to enter his prime, has left him exposed when there was nowhere and no way left to hide when he was put under the microscope against the Hawks when they hacked him. A guy who rests on his laurels as a defender first, who set the aim pre-season to win Defensive Player of the Year, and each time he stepped to the free throw line, the more alone and on an island he seemed to become. When you put all your eggs in the defensive basket, when a team exposes your greatest weakness on offense at the most important time, there's nowhere left to run. I'm sure Ben works on his shot, and by all reports he is an absolute workhorse. But hey, at the end of the day, Shaq couldn't shoot free throws well either, but that never stopped him demanding the ball and or being aggressive. And aggressive is the word that keeps coming up with every former basketballer turned commentator is that Ben Simmons lacked aggression. So is it shocking that over the entire series, Simmons shot three times total in seven last quarters? Is it a huge stretch to say that exposed from his protective cocoon, he folded with his biggest weakness? It's hard to know. Only Ben will know. I I think it's quite clear to anyone who was a former basketballer who's played basketball, who saw him pass up a layup in game seven or dunk, that he has fear in his heart at the moment he gets the ball. He could be fouled. 
Back to the Hawks series at hand. Game 5 was the biggest choke job I've seen in years. Up 83-58 to 58 late in the third, and still up 100-86 to 86 with only 6 minutes left in the game, Philadelphia would succumb by the end with the Hawks finishing the game on a 23-6 to 6 run. Embiid and Curry had 36 and 37 points respectively. Simmons in this pivotal game 5 went 4 of 14 at the line. And it's not all on Simmons. Doc Rivers went with a 10-man rotation throughout the series. And every time he put Dwight Howard on the floor, and in some cases Matthias Thibel, during the Hawks' runs, both posted massive negative plus-minus stats. That said, I'm really conscientious that I don't think Ben deserves this protection that he constantly gets. Down 3-2, Philly pinched Game 6 in Atlanta, forcing a Game 7 the result of which has left everyone in Philly furious and a lot of that wrath directed towards Simmons. I think he's had more than enough protection, but he's not the only culprit here. Embiid was forcing the issue, and while he had 31 points, he also had eight turnovers, including a crucial one in the last minute. Harris shot eight for 24 again. Doc Rivers used a 10-man rotation. He was clearly outcoached. He's got a horrible record in elimination games. Kevin Huerta needed stopping and they never tried to do it. Simmons has his strengths too, and they were on full display. Along with his now well-discussed weaknesses, he did dish out 13 assists. He held Trey Young to a horrible 5 of 23 display. Tick, well done. That's your job. You're good at those things. You need to work on the things you're not good at. This year comes back to the lack of aggression, and he simply refused to shoot. For the game, he took four shots. Once again... He took zero shots in the last quarter for the fourth straight game. This was low-loaded by a sequence we played at the start with a spin move on Gallinari. He was wide open for a dunk and he passed up the shot for fear of getting fouled. Most disappointingly, while he admitted he wasn't there offensively, he spent as much time focusing in his presser on his defensive prowess post-game. Unfortunately for Ben, this routine had worn out with everyone else around him. And what was truly unusual and unique, and even though Doc Rivers has tried to walk back some of his comments today, it manifested itself in the star player and coach throwing Ben under the bus post-game. Doc was right as well. Ben does need to get into the gym. He does need to work on his shot, and he does need to take it. What I don't like was his I-don't-know answer to Simmons being a point guard on a championship team. Expressing public disbelief in a player who would already clearly be quite low on his self-confidence doesn't bode well for their future relationship. And this may sound a little contradictory given my previous mentions of Ben being overprotected, but it's not. Saying a guy needs to work on his shot and will help him with those reps and help him to improve his game and that you believe in him is constructive. What the 76ers did post-game 7 was a combination of self-preservation and scapegoating It was really, really poor. And they may well be right, but I actually feel for Ben in that moment. He has been quite literally hung out to dry by his own organisation. So where does the blame lie in all of this? Embiid had eight turnovers in two of the losses. Harris shot terribly in the losses. And Simmons refused to shoot at all. Doc was outcoached. And I'd say it's a combination of all these factors that cost the 76ers. But it is incredibly hard to look past Ben Simmons shooting three total times in seven last quarters. More incredibly, he never missed. 
So what's next for Simmons and the 76ers? It seems pretty clear to me that whether the organization themselves likes it or not, Simmons is the scapegoat. If these post-Game 7 press conferences have not damaged the relationships beyond repair, what they have done is certainly damage Ben Simmons' trade value. Earlier in the season, I really didn't like the idea of trading Simmons for James Harden, but there's no way the 76ers could get near that quality for Ben after this postseason. There's word out of CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons, and that's probably the loudest noise, and move Ben over to the three or the four in Portland. The Blazers are a team that probably have capped out their current potential and performance and changes in the air, including Terry Stotts being let go. So could Simmons be the fit that they need? My thought is, if they can get him, they should. They will never get him any cheaper. Other possibilities that work in the trade machine is a three-way trade with McCollum going to Philly, Porzingis heading over to Portland, and Ben Simmons over to Dallas to work with Luka Doncic. Philly, having had the Al Horford experience, won't be interested in Porzingis joining Embiid. I think that's pretty, pretty certain. Looking at other teams that could potentially make a trade, and I'll run all these through the trade machine, if you're Indiana... Do you throw your hand in with Carice Levert, TJ Warren, and a first rounder for Ben Simmons? It's a real classic switch your dollar for a couple of 50 cent pieces for Philly, but perhaps this solves some of their large issues with shooting. Maybe Philly could push for Aaron Holiday if they don't believe in Tyrese Maxey. I don't like this trade for Philly. If Indy could do it, it'd be a steal, but who knows what Philly are thinking, whether that, that relationship is damaged beyond repair. The Spurs could offer DeMar DeRozan and some picks, but I would imagine Philly would want more than that to contend longer term than in the expiring DeMar DeRozan contract, although you certainly know DeMar DeRozan is not afraid to shoot. Houston is floating around and often being mentioned, but they don't have a lot of assets to include, so it would need a third team taking on Eric Gordon and or someone taking on John Wall. Hard to see either of those coming to fruition for mine. I tend to think the John Wall expiring will go and then they're in free agent land there. For Houston. But here's the one that I did love, and this is one I've popped through the trade machine and would actually really think would mix up the NBA in a really interesting way. So here it is, three-team trade. And this all works, all the contracts work, and it's good to go. And it's based on a trade that I'd heard sort of floated around with was which was Jaron Jackson to the Warriors for James Wiseman. So so here here is the trade in its full entirety. You'd have Ben Simmons heading to the Golden State Warriors. You'd have Andrew Wiggins heading to Philadelphia, as would Jaron Jackson from the Grizzlies. And James Wiseman would head over to Memphis. And I like this one on so many levels. The Warriors have two all-time shooters in Curry and Thompson. And if you couple that with Green and Simmons frontcourt, you've got an all-world switching team. And with those two pure shooters, Ben can roam on offense, cutting, moving, whatever he wants to do. And it's nowhere near as compressed as the Philadelphia system. And on defense, Green and Simmons, I'm all in on this. I love it for the Warriors. I don't think they'll be able to pull that off for Wiggins and Wiseman, but you never know your luck. Jackson and Wiggins going to Philly, I quite like because it opens up that front court a little bit more. It adds a little bit more shooting touch and it takes away some of those spacing issues. So Jackson and Wiggins to Philly opens up the possibility of moving on from Tobias Harris as well, or simply running it with all three and playing a season of Jackson to make sure that that knee is all good. A further wrinkle on this could involve trade-happy Oklahoma City. Move Walker, Kemba Walker, into Philly in a straight swap for Tobias Harris. That'd leave Philly a lineup of Embiid, 
Jaron Jackson, Andrew Wiggins, Seth Curry, and Kemba Walker. Perhaps a little small in the backcourt, but I certainly like that spacing and mix a little bit better. Alternatively, what's to say you can't go and get D'Angelo Russell out of Minnesota for Tobias Harris if you want to go down that path? So Philly have options, but none of them are James Harden levels. For any team that can pry Ben Simmons out of Philly, the slap in the face of reality could be exactly what he needs to make necessary improvements to his game. But that's up to Ben. This moment will either make him or it'll break him. He can be a top 10 player in the league, or he can be exactly who he is now, a solid defender and a borderline all-star. The early signs he's pulled out of the Olympics for Australia Not great. I really thought that could have been an environment that would hasten his development, give him a good, good mental space to work in in the Olympics as an absolute gun and a headliner with the Aussie team. He's chosen not to do that by all reports. That's a shame for Australia and I think for Ben. So we'll see what happens. I, I can see a scenario where Philly also don't trade Ben at all because the return on investment is going to be so poor as compared to a year ago. But if that's the case, Philly only have themselves to blame. You throw a man under the bus, you leave him damaged, and you're going to get damaged back. So they brought this on themselves. It was a really, really poor organizational effort in Game 7 from the players on the court to the coach in the press conference and to where they sit now. They've done damage that may be irreparable, all based on emotions of losing a game that they felt they should have won. All that said, am I not giving the Hawks enough credit? Possibly not. But they advance, and a team that grew as the season went on, and all parts are working together really well, and they can go and earn that credit more as they take on the Bucks in the conference finals. Whereas for the 76ers, it's the end of this road for this team, and we wait to see what comes next. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about the Sports Speak podcast, you can follow us on Instagram on sports underscore speak underscore podcast, and we'll be back with more soon. Thank you.